next. We also want to celebrate that at the next service, we're going to have a baptism. Yeah. And this is week number four in a row. We have, we've been able to baptize six people over the course of the last four weeks, and it's been really cool. We started out with two middle school boys, and then we had two kids from children's ministry, and then we had a, a, a guy last week, and this, this week we have a, a young adult lady that's going to be baptized, and so we're just really excited about that. So her name's Alyssa, and I just wanted to share her story with you this morning um, as we uh, prepare for what God has for us, and just be excited for her. It says this, uh, why, do you, why do you want to be baptized? She said, after I got saved, I always knew that one day I wanted to be baptized, but I was still holding on to old sin. I wasn't giving uh, every part of me to God until recently I heard the Lord tell me to just let go. I couldn't trust him. I chose to be, uh, I, I could trust him, sorry. I could trust him. I chose to be obedient, and the Lord blessed me in miraculous ways, including perfect peace. And I knew I needed to formally commit myself to Christ and his people through baptism as soon as I could. And I thought that was really cool. And then she goes on to say, he makes me, he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And he is our savior. He loved us so much that he offered himself as a perfect sinless sacrifice to pay our sins so we could be saved. And then I love this part. She said, I grew up in church and I knew of God, but I didn't know him personally. In 2019, I was very uh, sick for months in the hospital, and just days after I read the living Word of God, my mom gave to me and really prayed and talked to Him. He rapidly healed me. I gave myself to Him and realized my life was never mine to have, and I was made to belong to God. My life has purpose, and that is to love everyone and to grow, help grow God's kingdom and to serve Him in any way that He asks. I thought how incredible it is. Yeah. That's, that's Alyssa's story. So, as you go home this afternoon, just remember Alyssa's story and pray for her as she goes public with her faith. Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? All right, ready for the word? All right, all right. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 John. We've been studying 1 uh, John, uh, and we are in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We're actually going to jump back into a couple of verses in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and then we'll go 3 through 9 uh, here this morning. Uh, I, I was reminded... Uh, of a saying that I heard not too long ago that, that goes like this. It says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing, because I believe that there's too many times in our life that, that we want Jesus, but we try and add some things to it because we think that he's not enough. For whatever reason, we think that he's not enough, and, 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 or we try and control the situations in our life and, and realize that we have absolutely no control over the things that goes on in our life. And, and so I think it's really interesting. And, and so I think what we're, what we're seeing and what John's talking about this morning is coming to this place where we're, we're, we're fully engaged in, in the things of God and allowing him to be everything to us. 
Right, so, so John's been trying to help his readers understand. He's writing, writing to the church and writing to a group of believers that are going through some pretty difficult things and what have been told that they can say one thing and that they can do another. Sounds a lot really familiar, right? That they can say one thing and do another, and this is coming from even from some religious leaders, in the, and, and, and John's trying to help his readers and help the church understand that that's not true, that we have to be able to walk, that we have to be able to walk in the truth of who God is, that we have to be able to, to see him for who he really is, and that in that, this, that's when we find our true identity that's in Christ. Man, I love that song. I was thinking about that this morning, is that uh, this, uh, John, in this portion of Scripture, in a portion of this Scripture this morning, is going to actually talk about our identity. And I believe, I believe that for most of us, we have an identity problem. Really, I think we have an identity problem. We've lost sight of who we really, we, we're not sure. For some of you, you don't even know who you are because you haven't come into relationship with Jesus yet. And, and, and then the rest of us who are in relationship with Jesus, if we're not really careful, we can build our, our, our identity off our past and not who we've really been created to be. Now, just being real honest with you, I've struggled with the whole identity thing. I was even, I even walked in here this morning, it's pouring down rain when I came walking in, I'm thinking, and it was weird because I went to the bathroom, I'm like looking in the mirror, okay, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm thinking, God, why did you put me in this position, right? I barely made it through school. I mean, it was, when I graduated, they said, thank the Lord, Chris is gone, we don't, we don't have to put up with him anymore. And then, and then I got into college, and I barely made it through college. My, my, my first semester GPA was like a 1.9. And, and it stayed that way for quite a while until I met Ashley. And then my last semester of my college year, my last semester of my college year, the best semester ever because Ashley said, if you want to see me, you got to study. And, and I got a 2.5. And I, and, I, and I go, I look in the mirror, I'm like, God, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? You want to take, take this old kid from High Point, North Carolina, and you want to take him to Thomasville, and then you want to take him to New York? God forbid those people need a Jesus. Are you from New York? So, that, that's why you moved back to North, that's why you moved to North Carolina, right? Needed some more Jesus, blue skies. All right. Then move, move here, and, and, and it's that, this identity thing that I think if we can begin to really recognize who we truly are, but you got to understand that the foundation of who Jesus is before you can understand who you are. And I believe that John talks a little bit about that. We went to the, we went to the zoo, we went to the zoo this uh, Friday, we went to the zoo. First time, first time we, first time we've been to the zoo, we took, put, took Eli to the to, uh, there, and um, we're, weren't really sure how he was going to kind of react. He loves, he loves animals, but he loves dinosaurs. We're like, sorry, buddy, there's no dinosaurs at the zoo. 
and 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 we're 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 going. We you know we see we see like giraffes and and we see lions and and there's this one point he says he says I want to see the rhinos and I want to see the elephants. Okay, so. So we go up to the part where you got to go down. I don't know if you've ever been to the North Carolina Zoo, but they have this one part where all the rhinos and the, and the, and the, uh, and the um, elephants, and there's some other kind of animals out there. It's a really big, wide open place, and, and, and it, sometimes they'll be out there, and sometimes they won't. So we went down this really long path and went to look, and they got these different perspectives, these different places that you can stop to see if you can actually see the animals. We got to the first one, we really couldn't see. Couldn't see any rhinos, couldn't see any elephants. And so then we went down a little bit further and got to kind of the end of that one little path and couldn't see them there. So then we had to turn around, go right back up this path and go to this another place. And we get, we get, come walking up to this one place and all of a sudden there they are. The, the rhino, you can see the rhinos just in the distance and, and you can see the elephants, they're right there and they're just, they're, they're eating, you know, grass and stuff like that. And, and Eli comes up and he goes, Rhinos and elephants, mission accomplished. I'm like, the, the, you know, I love the words of a child because he puts it all into perspective, right? And I think that goes to teach us a lot about who God is. That sometimes we go looking for him, but sometimes we go looking in the wrong places, Right? And sometimes we have to change our perspective. And then all of a sudden you get in, in this one place, you kind of get in the right place. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Mission accomplished. It's when God puts you kind of in that place because you, re- I don't know if you realize it or not, but God, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, God actually allows you to struggle. Because it's in those moments through that struggle that all of a sudden mission accomplished and now you start to really see him for who he is. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, sorry, in verse 28, and then we'll jump into chapter 3. It says this, and now dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So what it's reminding us is that Jesus is coming back. John's taking a moment to remind his readers that, hey, Jesus is coming back. And so I know the world tries to beat you down. It tries to tell you things. It tries to, you know, manipulate you. Let's, let's be really honest. Target had a really bad week. Thank Jesus they had a bad week. To be honest with you, I'm glad they had a bad week. They need a bad week. Target. <laughs> and I'm not a Target hater, but I got a problem with that, right? <clears throat> because the world is trying to do everything it can to try and send the culture in a direction because the enemy's trying to send the culture in a direction that it doesn't want to go. And God says, no. Nope, not that direction. And so John's reminding us that, that who Jesus is and reminding us that he's coming back. And when he comes back, then we can stand before him unashamed because he's come back. And because we've had the faith to stand on the foundation of who he is. Verse, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Stop there for just a moment. I want you to soak that in. 
I don't want to read past Scripture so quick that we don't take time to breathe in the words of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. You, 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 you walk down the path, you get to one place, you can't see the animals. You walk down the path, you get to another place, you can't see it. And then all of a sudden, you get to this one spot, and then you begin to see what God has done in your life. And the love that he begins to reveal to us. He's lavished on us. I love that word. That we should be called what? That we should be called children of God. And, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps, okay, hold on a minute. No one, we got to soak this in too. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I love how John writes pretty straightforward. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Thank you, Jesus. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. We're going to stop there for just a minute because I stopped early at verse 10 because verse 10 kind of connects with the, la the latter verses that we'll talk about next week. So there, there's a couple, there's three things that I just want to point out that John begins to help us begin to understand. The first one, this, I think they're blat glaringly obvious when he goes, see what great love he has lavished on us. In some versions, it says, behold, behold, what great love. And so, so my first point is fairly simple, and it pretty much comes from the text is this. See God's love this morning. See God's love. It's a perspective. It's, a, it's an opening of your heart to see all that God has done for us. It's this God reminding us of what he did in sending his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross so that we might have the hope of eternal life. It's, and there's two things in this that God begins to help us see as he talks about this, this love that he lavished on us is the measure of God's love and the manner of God's love. There's two parts there that kind of begin to help us understand the measure of God's love, the length at which he went through to send his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we might have the hope of eternal life, the manner at which he did it. Helps us begin to understand God's love. 
You see, love is not just something that we say, it's something that we do. But we live in a culture where if you just say it, but let's be honest, we, how many times even in our little circles, we've said, I love you, but we really didn't mean it. It's become just a, a thing that we say without any real action behind it. Now, that's what I love about what John's trying to help us understand here this morning is that God didn't just say it, but he actually showed it to us. And now he's saying, see change your perspective. Maybe you're over here and maybe you've been struggling with the love of God. Then maybe you need to change perspective and go into another place to begin to see the love that God has for you this morning. Because maybe you've been looking in the wrong place for his love. It's really interesting because I think there are things that actually hinder us from believing in the love of God. First one's pride. Pride will hinder you from believing in the love of God. I think unbelief will cause you to not believe in the love of God. And then the last one here that we talked about, that I talked about a little bit earlier is just your past experiences. I can't tell you time and time and time again of conversations that I've had with people when what they said was, I just don't understand how God can love me because of what my past is like. And my response is, that's why God loves you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, because he knew you were going to screw up. That you were a jacked up, messed up person, and that you needed a savior. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you might have the ability to have a relationship with him. And here we're coming back to this foundational thing of what God actually talks to us is that when we see God's love, it's all about a relationship with him. I had a, I had a conversation this past week with, with a neighbor friend of mine and he came out, we, we were talking. He's like, Hey man, I'm not really a religious, I'm not really a religious guy. I said, I'm not either. I hadn't told him yet that I was a pastor. I said, I'm not really a religious guy either. I said, I, be, I believe that I believe in Jesus and I believe that we have the ability to have a relationship with him because I believe re- religion has actually messed a whole lot of people up. But that there's this ability to have a relationship with Jesus. And I said, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm a pastor. <laughs> uh, he kind of looked at me funny like he wasn't sure what, what, what? But our our past experiences sometimes keep us from accepting, receiving the love. And so then in verse 2, John goes from saying, okay, see what great love that the Father has lavished on us. And now he goes into verse 2. And in verse 2, he says, uh, he goes on to say that we are children. Dear friends, now we are children of God. So now he begins to give us our true identity. That we're children of God. Now, here's what I want to speak to real quick is that to understand the context of this passage was that John wasn't talking about an unbelieving world. John, in this moment, was talking to a group of believers who believed in Jesus as the Son of God. And so then he's saying, now you are children of God. The one way to be a child of God is to be in relationship with Jesus. 
But he begins to speak of our identity. And here's what I wrote down and didn't even, didn't even process that one of the songs that, that we sang actually kind of connects to this. But the, the, the thought I wrote down was, know whose you are so that you know who you are. Know whose you are so that you know who you are. Because when we know, when we walk in the identity of Christ, I've given my life to Christ, and now I'm striving to walk in relationship with him. I'm trying to, I'm striving to, to do the things that he wants me to do. I'm trying to live according to his word. And John said, I wrote, he wrote this book so that we would know the truth and that we would be able to walk in the truth in our everyday life. And knowing who we are in Christ, that if we've given our life to if we've given our life to Him, we said yes to Jesus, then we are a child of God. John, John also wrote in John chapter 1, verse 12, he said, But as many, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so John begins to help us understand. That our identity is found in who Christ is. And then it's really interesting because I think he takes a little bit of a turn to help them understand. Again, he's writing to a, a group of believers. And, 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 and four takes a little bit of a turn. It says, everyone who, sin, who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. He said, but you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one, okay, verse 6, this is important, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So we have to learn, here's, here's my thought for this, is that we have to learn to recognize sin. And the only way for us to recognize sin is to see God for who he is, to see him and to live, walk, live and walk in the true identity that God's given us and to know the truth. That's the only way that we can recognize sin is if we're walking in truth, we're walking in truth of who we are because who God created us to be, if we're walking in the truth of his word. But that's a choice because here's the thing. I believe there are a bunch of people who go to church, who claim to be Christians, who know what's wrong, but they still do it. And it's really interesting because here... What John is actually speaking to is that sin is a disregard for the law of God. And he's reminding us that Jesus took away the penalty for, for sin. He's reminding us that Jesus took away the power of sin by his death on the cross. Yet, if we're not careful and we're not in relationship with Jesus, we still walk in this life. Because, so, okay, let's be Here's, here's the foundation of this. It doesn't mean that you become perfect. It doesn't mean that you become perfect. What it means and what John's talking about here is when we no longer live in sin or we no longer want to sin is that we, the, the, a lifestyle of habitual sin is gone. Let me say that again. You ready? Yes. That this is, this is regarding a lifestyle of habitual sin. Sin, it's gone. It's taken away. When we step into that identity, when we step into relationship with Jesus, it becomes our desire. And I even said that this way a couple of weeks ago, it becomes our desire to grow out of sin 
and not allow those things to continue to be habits that we know are sin, continue to be habits in our life. We grow out of them. That means we take every opportunity, we, we do the things we can to get out of it. Right? If you're an addict, you don't put yourself in the same situations if you're trying to get out of it. Because you know that your tendency will be to continue to do those things because that's the pattern that you've created in your life. And so it begin, you have to begin to do things differently. You have to take yourself from point A, where I can't see the rhinos and the elephants, to now I'm over here at point B, where I can see who he truly is. Insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And so it's understanding that, and it's growing out of it. It's learning to recognize it. And the only way for us to learn to recognize it is to know the Word of God. It's to know the Word of God. Because what some were saying, and what John was actually talking about as well and approaching, was that some were saying that you could say one thing and do another And what John's saying is no, because that goes against God's word. Saying one thing and doing another is not it. And that's what he's saying in verse 6 when he said, No one who lives in Christ, who lives in him, keeps on sinning. So the question came up for me from this is this. How do you react when you sin? Right? Because sin has not been totally removed. You say yes to Jesus, it hasn't been totally removed. The penalty has been paid by Jesus. The power has been removed because the Bible also says that when we're tempted, God has given us the ability to walk away from that temptation. The problem is we let our flesh win out in most circumstances. So the question becomes, how do you react when you sin, do you, do you give in to the pattern of sin and let it dominate your life? Or do you humbly confess your sin and do battle against it with the power Jesus can give you? So we were, we were leaving the zoo. And it's, it's, it's in Ashborough. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm pulling up my phone because I'm trying to figure out how to, how to get out of here. And, and, uh, and, and it's just like spinning. Like the, the Google Maps is just like spinning and Ashley said something to me about getting out of here. And I said, I'm trying. The thing's not working. And I was like, oh, crap. I'm really sorry. I did, didn't I? I did. I said, I'm really sorry. That was totally uncalled for. But because that has been a pattern. The old me, that was a little bit of a pattern. So it's not fully gone, it's not fully yet, yet God's still crafting me in the person he wants me to be. And all of a sudden, that little thing within me reared its ugly head and said, I'm trying. When I should have said, I'm trying. This Google thing's not working. And so I had to confess it right there in front of my son and my daughter. And she looked at me and she Because our, our youngest daughter just got engaged a couple of weeks ago, and now we're setting the tone for what her relationship is going to be like. And I just screwed up. 
And so I had to say right there in that moment. Because typically, okay, okay, in my younger days, what I would have done is I would just, yeah, I probably would have kept going. Like that's, part, that's been a part of my pattern in the past too, is that when something ha- like that happens, I just don't let it go. Like I just keep, and on and on and on till finally I'm like, what, what am I doing? But see, growth has happened in Pastor Chris, and I was in that moment able to say, that was the wrong response, and I'm sorry. So how do we react when we sin? Do we allow it to dominate our life, or do we humbly confess it and do battle? Because Jesus paid the price so that it didn't have power over us, right? We've been given the authority to say and the power to say no to the enemy. And we can either decide to do things our way. We can, we can decide to do things his way or we can destroy things by doing it our way. Because when we try to do things our way, we eventually lead to destruction. We're really good at screwing things up. And so last portion of this scripture in verses 7, he goes on to say, don't let, you know, don't let anyone lead you astray. And here's what he says, that in a true relationship with Jesus, he changes everything. Right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But in a true relationship with Jesus, he changes everything. Like, what do you mean by that? Okay, it's kind of like cleaning out your house. It's kind of like cleaning out your house. We know that there's junk in the house that's got to be, got to go. Have you ever moved? Right? Have you ever moved and, and, you, and you walk out? We did it. We moved about a year and a half ago or so. I walked out into the garage out of the house that we were moving for. I'm like, this stuff came into this garage 10 years ago, and I haven't touched it or even looked at any of it in the last 10 years. Why are we holding on to it? And, and see, that's what he wants to do in our life is that when we come into relationship with him, we start to recognize the sin. And so now we have to, through his help and his power, we have to go into the house and we have to start cleaning out all the junk. We have to start cleaning out. We have to go through the closet and say, hey, there's this part of my life that, I, that is not in line with God's word. So I got to start to clean it out. I got to start to do things differently. Is there evidence in your life that Jesus has changed you? Is there evidence in you that Jesus is changing you? Because it's a process. It's a a step-by-step process that hopefully you're not the same person that you were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. You're not that same person. Now you're a totally different person because you're allowing Jesus to come in and you're allowing him to clean out the closets. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And then I, want to, I wanted to close with this passage in, G, in Galatians. Paul talking to the church in Galatians chapter 5, and it says this. But the fruit 
of the Spirit. Okay? So what, 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 what Paul is trying to help the church understand, and I believe what John's trying to help us understand too, is that when Jesus comes in, he changes everything, and he begins to change us in to who we're really supposed to be. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is when we give our life to Christ, he says that he puts his Spirit in us. But the fruit of the Spirit that lives in us is your love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And yes, self-control is up there. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, listen, those who belong to Christ have crucified the old self. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Does that list reflect you? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You got to be honest in church. You don't lie in church. You don't lie out other places either. I always hate that statement. <laughs> oh, you can't lie in church. Well, you're actually not supposed to lie at home either. But is, is the Word of God becoming a reflection? Are we becoming a reflection of what the Word of God says that we're supposed to be? And if it's not, then we got to Maybe change our perspective, maybe go to a different place and begin to say, okay, God, I'm here, but here, I got to start to get over here so that I can be, start to become who you've created me to be. And so what I'm asking this morning is let's ask God to make us, give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Now, here's the reality of it. The reality of it is, is that you can't fix all those at one time. <laughs> if you can fix all those at one time, more power to you. You can't actually fix them at all. It's only allowing God's Spirit to come into you and allow you begin to recognize, God, how can I walk in love? How can I walk in joy? How can I walk? Because here's what I love is that regardless of the circumstances in life, right? John's talking to a bunch of people who are really struggling right now. And he's saying that regardless of whatever storm or struggle you may be going through, I put my spirit in you and you're able to walk. Because this, this, what you see right here, that's actually your true identity. That's actually who God created you to be, a person who loves, a person who has joy. Man, I can't stand it when people walk into church. You're like, hey, how's it going? Fine. I'm like, really? I mean, I realize we have bad days, but every Sunday you have a bad day? How can you find love in the circumstance that you're in? How can you find joy in the circumstance that you're in? How can you find peace and patience and kindness 
and gentleness and self-control. And the only way you'll do that is by crucifying the flesh. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we have to let him begin to change us. Let's pray. God's wanting to do something in you this morning. Is there sin? Is there sin that you need to say no to? I'm just, I'm going to start there because that's probably the glaringly obvious one. Those who are in him will begin to say no to sin. And is there some habitual sin in your life that just keeps rearing its ugly head and this morning it's got to be let go? Why don't you process that one for just a moment? Maybe it's an identity thing with you this morning. Maybe you just need to see the love of Jesus this morning to experience it, to feel it, to just soak it in, to breathe it in this morning. And let him begin to, re, to reshape your identity and who he's actually created you to be. Jesus, I pray that right now you would do what only you can do. Show us yourself. Help us to see you right now for who you truly are. Help us to to know you. Give us a clear picture. God, if there's anybody in here who their picture of you has been skewed by their past, or their pride, or their unbelief. God, I pray that right now you would show them the true picture of who you are and that you lavished your love on us. That we might become sons and daughters, children of God. God, in this moment, would you just do what only you can do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me for just a moment? I just want to open up the front. If you want to just come up and pray, maybe there's something going on that you just need some some time to come up and pray. Maybe there is something that you need to come and confess to the Lord. Repentance and confession is the beginning of healing. And so maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you need to come up here and say, God, I want you to begin to deal with my identity. I'm walking in the wrong identity. And God, I want to begin to walk in the new identity of who you've created me to be as a child of God. 
And I want you to use this moment, whether you sing or you don't sing, to process and think. It does us no good if we don't, it does us no good just to come in here and go through the motions, but to actually soak in the presence of the Lord and allow Him to begin to change us. And so during this song, I want you to feel the freedom to come up and to kneel at the front. And then toward the latter part of the song, our prayer team, they'll come up. And they just want to maybe even pray for you if, if you'd like for them to pray for you. Will you process that with me right now? Let's sing.